Good morning, man. It's so good to be with you all this morning. So good to see you guys. Uh, when you have some time, you can look over the announcement and see some things that are coming up. Just a special attention again to the missions um, meeting that will happen uh, pretty soon. So if you're interested in doing any uh, short-term missions, we have uh, several to, uh, to China this year. Uh, if that's something you're interested in, please be sure to go to that meeting. But we need to kind of move on. We're in Romans chapter 8. So if you want to, you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And um, we're not at the end of the book in Romans 8. We've actually got eight more chapters to go. But at this particular midpoint where we're at, uh, Paul actually, he comes to the climactic conclusion of what God has done in Christ Jesus to overcome the effects of sin and death and all those things that, are, that corrupt the human heart. And so if Romans 8 just ended here, that would, that would be enough. And if I could just sum up the last few chapters, 6, 7, and 8, it would be with this one word. It's the word freedom. Freedom. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Because when it comes to the Christian life, I don't know if a lot of people necessarily use that word, attach that word freedom to the Christian life. And not only for yourself, but I think even in our broader culture, I don't think culture is looking at Christians and say, wow, they're like a really, seem like a really bunch of great free people. And so if that's not a word that kind of defines your life, I want you to think about that today. I really want you to think about what does it mean to really be free as Scripture defines it and what Paul calls us to. Because as we've been learning, uh, especially last, really, the two messages, that Christians, we are no longer under the law. And that's a lowercase l, and I told you about that last week about in the Greek. It's kind of an interpreter's decision, whether to use a capital L or a small l. A, a capital L is referring to the whole, kind of the Old Testament and the laws. Lowercase l could also encapsulate that, plus, plus, just because he was speaking to a, uh, a Gentile audience as well. And if you're not religious, if you're not a Christian, you know, we're so glad you're here, but even non-Christians, you kind of obey a particular law that tells you whether or not you're doing well, whether or not you're acceptable, whether things are right or whether things are wrong. And, and Paul's saying that Christians, we're no longer under the law. We don't relate to God through a law. We don't relate to God through little things here and there that we say we do A and then B and then C. If we get it right, then we're righteous. We're good with God. We, we don't do that. And if I don't do A and B and C, then I condemn myself. There, there isn't that type of, of framework in the Christian mind anymore. That's religion. But Paul says that through Christ, we are no longer religious people. But we've actually come into a relationship with Jesus. It's not a set of laws to follow. It's a person to follow. It's a spirit to follow who speaks to us. Where God and not me, where God and not me, is he's at the center of our life. And we don't need to be burdened anymore by these kind of nagging questions. Am I righteous enough? Do I measure up enough? Am I good enough? Am I right enough? Does God love me? And the answer is always, always, it's by the atoning blood of Jesus, I'm enough. It's by the covering blood of Jesus that I'm justified. It's by the cleansing blood of Jesus that I'm righteous. It's by the atoning blood of Jesus that I am forever loved. That issue is settled. And so that's why Paul, he opens up in chapter 8 with these really amazing, amazing words. He says, therefore, and so he's in light of everything, in light of chapters 1 through 7. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Wow. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, 
the law of the Spirit, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek here because there, there's no law, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then this is kind of a review of chapter 7. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. When God sees us because we've been covered by the blood of Christ. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit? Uh, that's who he says, the, the transformation of who you are. You now, as a Christian, you live according to the flesh, according to the Spirit, no longer according to the flesh. And so this, this idea of flesh you know, versus spirit, that, that's something that we're all familiar with in, in some form of another. I mean, at the very minimum, it's like, do I eat this salted caramel chocolate, or do I eat, you know, the apple? My recommendation would to be to eat a salted caramel chocolate covered apple. That's what I would say, okay? You could do both, all right? We try to balance these things, right? Um, you get a bonus from work, right? Do I spend all that money on myself, that is flesh, right? Or can I give a significant portion to world vision? That would be spirit. Uh, do I treat the opposite sex as an object for my own gratification? That'd be flesh, or do I treat the opposite sect with dignity and respect? That would be spirit. And I was kind of thinking about this because when you look at the whole animal kingdom, right, it, it's so, isn't it interesting that in the whole animal kingdom, and let's say us being part of the animal kingdom, that only we, only we have this struggle of spirit versus flesh and flesh versus spirit. But we're the only animal that, that kind of fights with some of our most base, that fights against some of our most fleshly, our most base instincts. For, for example, okay, I don't think a lion goes around thinking, you know, I need to go vegan today. You know, I don't think a lion does that, right? Really, you know, my, my, my flesh says, you know, steak, right? But my spirit says vegetables, right? A lion doesn't do that, right? A, a great white shark. I'm pretty sure there's no great white shark going around the ocean thinking fish are friends, not food, right? That just doesn't happen, right? And then another great movie, I'm pretty sure you'll never be able to find a rat, all right, who's really, you know, distressed inside about a life of crime pilfering food when he'd rather be preparing food, right? There, there's just not that kind of, of struggle in, in the animal kingdom. We're the only creature, right, where we're called to be. There's something in this that tells us that we're a little bit more than just flesh, a little bit more than just instinct. We're, we're the only creature that's called to war against some of our most basic instincts. It's interesting because here, here's what it is. When a lion kills a gazelle, right, when that happens, when we see that, we're like, that's awesome. That's like raw power, and he eats it, right? And that's, we just say, that's, that's, just, that's just nature. That's just nature taking course. That's just natural. When, when a great white shark, when he eats a fish, we say, wow, or he eats like a, a baby seal, like, you know, poor baby seal. No, no, we're like, that's awesome, right? We look at that, National Geographic, that's amazing. Because he's that power, top of the food chain, right? It's natural. But when a human being kills another human being, we don't say that's natural. We don't say that's normal. We say that's not human. That's, that's inhumane. 
that interesting? And we, we read about the, the couple in, in California, right? They have those 13 kids, right? Something in their nature, something in their, their debased instincts, one of them said, let's neglect these kids, let's starve them to death, let's torture them. We don't say that's natural. We say that's, un, that, that's not being a human. See, when you become a Christian, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're regaining your humanity. You're regaining your humanity. And it's to war against some of the most self-centered, some of the most debased, some of the most destructive and flesh-driven instincts, and then to live in the Spirit of God to the voice of God that calls us to selflessness, to love, and to compassion. When you are the most Spirit-filled, you will become the most loving. And when you are be- and when you are the most loving, you become the most human. That's what it means to be spirit-filled, to be the most human. And so Paul teaches that this flesh versus spirit, this experience, it's not a small thing. It's not just should I eat the caramel apple, I mean, I mean the caramel, you know, or should I just eat the apple? It's a little bit bigger than that. He says this battle that we all face or this choice that we all face is life and death. Look what he says in the next verse, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set. It's right here. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desired. The mind governed by the flesh, here it is. If your mind here is governed by the flesh, is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Say it with me, life and peace. Life and peace. One more time. Life and peace. That's what the Spirit wants for us. And so when you're led by the Spirit, your life will feel alive. But if you're led by your flesh, even your life is going to feel like death. And so while we can talk about these simple, you know, funny things of, you know, should I eat the, um, you know, go on a diet, should I eat chocolate, or should I eat the apple, or hoarding money versus generosity, these are all part of the battle, right? But there are bigger battles. There are much bigger battles, choices that we make that can lead to life, or they could lead to death. There are bigger battles, like, do I hold a grudge? That's flesh. Or do I forgive? That's spirit. Do I stay angry? That's flesh. Do I give grace? That's spirit. Do I remain bitter? That's flesh. Or I'm able to surrender? That's spirit. Do I choose pessimism? Sky's falling. It's just always bad. That's flesh. Or do I choose hope? That's spirit. These choices are life and death. And did you notice, did you notice, did you notice where Paul says the battle takes place? Where does the battle for this choice of we're going to be spirit-filled or flesh-filled, where does it take place? Paul says it takes place in your mind. It's where your mind is set. It's what your mind is set on that determines your outcome. Now, I didn't grow up in church Uh, my parents were just kind of nothing for a while. 
uh, they, they uh, tried Buddhism. You know, eventually they kind of just went into Buddhism. But really, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up a Christian. My parents were not Christian. I didn't know. I didn't understand. I didn't care who Jesus was. I had no idea what the church was. I had no idea about the existence of, of churches and a kind of a Christian subculture, uh, evangelicalism, fundamentalism, whatever like that. Those were really peaceful times when I didn't know about all those things. But I grew up in a very dysfunctional household. Grew up in a really dysfunctional household. And, um, you know, there's a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of emotional abuse and physical abuse. And, and my dad, my dad, he was a great vision caster. I mean, I think that's where I get my ability to have, have vision from, right? Just looking out to the future and looking at pe- people and looking at the church and things like that, dreaming what things could be. My dad was like that too. My dad was a great vision caster. And so on a regular basis... He would, like, he would inform me. He would tell me, Roy, this is what I see for your life. This is where your life is headed. And, and he would use phrases like dead in a ditch, <laughs> homeless, worthless. I mean, seriously, those are the words he would use. And yeah, you know, those can really mess with your child's mind. And, and I would remember on several, you know, dark and depressing, uh, pretty dark and depressing uh, nights. And, and this was all, way, all the way through my uh, young adulthood, by the way. When, when there was times, and maybe you've had the times where you felt like the darkness was just going to overcome you. Like the voices in your head would just kind of overtake you. When you're really vulnerable and you're susceptible to believe the worst about you or the worst in life. I remember that I would, I would have times like those where I would believe that his vision might become my reality. And, and I would hear a voice. I would hear a voice. And it wasn't a still, small voice. It, it actually, it's, at least it would start off like a voice that's far away, like someone yelling at me across from a football field. That's what it would just sound like. So it wasn't a still, a still small voice. And that voice would say, I wasn't even a Christian at the time. The voice would say, life, it's like yelling from, life is not hopeless. Your life is not hopeless. And my thoughts would kind of try to get clouded again by the darkness and depressing thoughts and things like that. It would kind of want to draw me back in despair. But the Spirit's voice in my mind would get louder and louder. Now, I recognize that Spirit's voice because that voice that called me into hope is the same voice later that called me into Christ. But I wasn't a Christian at that time. And I just remember there would be times where I just needed to, I just needed to hang on to that voice. There's this battle going on in my mind whether that life was meaningless or that life could be full of hope. And I would hear that voice just get louder and louder. Life is not hopeless. Your life is not hopeless. And I just remember I would, I would just like stand up and, and raise my fist. This is like in my room in the middle of the night. And I would whisper yell because I couldn't yell. I didn't want to wake anyone up. I would get in trouble, right? But I would whisper yell. Like, yes, life is not hopeless. My life is not hopeless. And I would have my own spirit, I wouldn't say filled, because again, I wasn't even a Christian. I didn't even know who God was, but something was just calling me to life and hope. And so I had, would have my own spirit-filled kind of spirit-inspired revival, even though I wasn't a Christian. But I'm so thankful to have gone through these, to gone through that, gone through that battle of life and death. Because in the years to come, I've come under battles in my mind of choosing life and death. And it's going to be the same for you as well. The greatest battles of flesh versus spirit, they are won in the mind first because they've already been won on the cross. Amen? And then the action 
comes next. It's in your mind where you battle against the flesh of hatred, of unforgiveness, of bitterness, of pessimism, cynicism, greed, lust, envy, murder, jealousy. It's in your mind, and it can take root in your heart unless you choose to stand, unless you choose to stand up in the middle of the night and raise your fist against the powers that be and declare your freedom that I am a spirit-filled child of God. Amen? It's in those darkest times. You've got to stand. And and you've got to hold on to that voice that says, keep hope alive. You've got to hold on to the Spirit's voice that says, God can heal things. God can heal my marriage. That God can heal particular relationships. That God is, is with me. That God is for me. That God can heal relationship with my kids. That God has a good future for me. That God loves me. That God just won't let my life slip quietly into the night. You've got to be able to reject the flesh And the voices of the flesh that lead to death and hold on to the Spirit's voice that leads to life. You've got to learn. We need to learn to practice how to guard our minds because what you think about is what you will be about. And what you look at is what you will long for. And what you long for is what you will live for. Next slide, please. And so whenever you get into that deeper place of despair, when you don't think you have the power to overcome, you need to come back to scripture. You need to come back to these particular verses, chapter 6, 7, and here, and 8. And I, you just need to listen to the kind of confidence that the Spirit calls you to. There's a particular confidence. Look at verse 9. Just, just listen to this. Paul says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. You, however, you're not. But I feel like it. But you're not. That's what Paul's saying. I know, but I just messed up, you know, yesterday, last night. But, but you're not. You're, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, uh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. It's pretty loud. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, which, like, yes, it does. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, because we're all dying and, you know, we're all decaying and my hair is falling out. But even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit regardless, is giving you life because of righteousness, because of what Christ did for us. And then verse 11. This is just one of the most uplifting, the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, think of all the energy and all the power, the universe to raise Christ from the dead, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, your dying, decaying bones, right? Because of his spirit who lives in you. And if you notice in here, notice in there in the scripture too, I've kind of highlighted the the repetitive uh, parts of this particular passage, the repetitive ifs. And, you know, when you study Greek a little bit, that word for if, it's the same word for since, so you could actually, it's not an if statement, it's actually a declarative statement, it's a since statement as well. But the reason they, they use if is because Paul's preaching here. Because when you see each one of these if this, if Christ is in you, if anyone's in Christ and the Spirit's in you, Paul's preaching, he's on fire. The idea is that when you're hearing this being read out loud, it's like, yeah, that is, that is me. Christ did die for me, you know. I, I know that I'm a Christian, right? The ifs, they're kind of rhetorical. When they're read out, it's supposed to build up in you. When you read the scripture, it's supposed to build up in you this emotional, this, this, uh, this truth, you know, foundational confidence 
that I am in the realm of the Spirit. I am indeed in Christ. I do have the Spirit of God. I do belong to Christ. I do have the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, and then he will also give life to this mortal body. And so Paul, he's, he's just preaching. He's on fire for God. And he says, you've got to put on a confident, a confident mindset. Confident mindset. Confident in what? Confident that we have the indwelling spirit of God. Confidence that you have the indwelling spirit of Christ in you. Confident of the spirit-led transformation, the change in your life that God is seeking to bring. Paul, he's, he's stressing the kind of assurance of who you are right now in this moment and who you are becoming. Look, this is really important about your mindset because we all think of ourselves, every single one of us, you think of yourselves in terms of who you are right now. And you take who you are right now and you think about who you are right now and that kind of determines who you're going to become in the next moment. And how you think of yourself now is going to determine who you're becoming. And Paul says, your mindset should be filled with this confident faith that there's no condemnation. Take that out of your mind. That the spirit-filled you, the most human you, the most loving you, is being birthed and formed in you moment by moment. Wow. Now, when you hear that, I, I get it. I, I understand. There's, there's, there's pushback to that. Because sometimes we, we look at ourselves and we feel like, man, that's just really hard. Because it's easier to think about my future self. It's easier to think about our future self based on our past self. And when I think about my past self, it doesn't always inspire confidence in my future self. Right? You know, I serve on this uh, denominational board uh, for the Alliance. And so it's just our regional board, just uh, Oregon and um, uh, Washington, Idaho, and, and Alaska. And so I, I get to sit into, about, into meetings about three, four times a year with our denominational leader. His name's Randy. And so one of the things that we do in our leadership meetings at the very end is I, I appreciate about this about his leadership. He just wants to know there's, if there's one area of improvement, what could he do? Right? And so we always have a period of evaluation after each of these meetings. And so what we usually do, and we did this in the last meeting. In the last meeting, we give him a lot of praise. We heap on a lot, a lot of praise because we know people, we need a lot of praise, right? And then we give him this one thing, this one area of improvement. And then so in our last board meeting, just, uh, just like two weeks ago, he just wanted to confess. And he just said, Roy, not Roy, but he said, guys, you know, um, since our last meeting, you know, you guys gave me the feedback and there's a lot of praise. But guess what I was thinking about? Just that one thing of improvement, right? You know, that one thing just kept gnawing and gnawing at him. And I really appreciate that and the humility of just kind of confessing that as well. But we're all like that, right? Where does that come from? We all struggle with this. Where does that mindset come from? Where does that condemning mindset come from? It comes from the old law. It comes from your own old law. It's from your own idea of like, I'm just not righteous enough. I can't get it right. And so we condemn ourselves when spirit says there is no longer any condemnation that we couldn't measure up. It's since childhood that our mindset got set. And it took years and years for your mindset to get set in very fleshly ways. And so it might take some time for your mind 
to think in a new way, in the new way of the Spirit that gives life. That's why it's hard. That's why it's difficult. That's why it takes time and intention and practice. But the invitation here, church, the invitation from your Heavenly Father is to hear Him speak vision into your life. That you, no matter what you might think of yourself today, no matter how much you messed up last week, or that you, however, that you are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. Since the Son of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. That's who you are. He who raised Christ from the dead will also, it's something that he will also, that's future tense, that's future speaking, that God will also, that in your next moment, give life to your mortal, mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is your heavenly father's vision for your life. I don't know if anyone's ever spoken vision into your life before. I think that's why God has, you know, even just allowed me to, to have this place to be a pastor and to think about a vision for your life and the vision for our church and the vision for our place here in Seattle. But God has a vision for your life. And his vision for your life is spelled out here. It's very specifically being spirit-filled in the next moment, right now, spirit-filled after you leave church today, spirit-filled when you're on the road, when you're on 405 and 5, you won't have road rage. Can you believe that, right? God can actually do that, right? He can fill you. Being spirit-filled at home, at work, spirit-filled with your kids and your parenting, spirit-filled with your spouse, with your coworkers in your neighborhood, spirit-filled as you interact with, with those who are poor, who are, need, who, who are in need, rejecting the flesh and following the spirit. Aren't you glad that your heavenly father, aren't you glad that your heavenly father has such high hopes for you? And if he has hope for you, and if he says this is who you are, that means there's provision for who you are. And that provision is in and through the spirit of God of his presence. And so we need to practice this living confidently in this vision because I know a lot of people and maybe even Christians too, we kind of, sometimes we feel stuck in our lives. And some people I know, it's like they hate their lives. And the reason they say stuck and the reason they remain hating their lives is because they can't imagine anything better. They can't imagine themselves better. They can't imagine their life being better. And look, if you lack the confidence, because that's what Paul's talking about here, if you lack the confidence to believe that things can be better because God's in your future, then they won't get better because what you think about is what you will be about, and what you look at is what you long for, and what you long for is what you live for. That's why Paul, he brings it home, and he says in these next verses, in verse 12, that the spirit-filled life, that it requires our participation. Verse 12, he says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We have an obligation. But the obligation, I love this. He says, but the obligation is not to the flesh. And in our lives, sometimes we feel so obligated to follow our flesh just because that's what we're used to. But Paul says the power is not there. And we've said this before, I'm dead to sin, alive to God. Sin is not my master, right? Your obligation is not to the flesh. To live according to it, verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the way I've kind of, uh, you know, just mapped it out, at least for me in my mind, about how this kind of works, of being Spirit-filled and a little bit of transformation, and this is something that God does, okay, is this, is that we're all set like this. Um, next slide. We're all set with a particular 
we have, we have a particular old way of thinking, right, and old behavior. And when we're a new Christian, when you come to Christ, you're still stuck with this, actually. It's still there. You still have old thinking, you know, and then old behavior. But when you decide in your mind to choose to be spirit-filled, you can have new thinking, right? Because Paul is calling, I mean, because God is calling you, giving you a vision for your life of being spirit-filled, right? But sometimes, many times, it's not just what you think. Because you can have a whole new mindset, but your behavior can stay the same. And that's when Christian life gets really tiring, right? That's when you start feeling like, this is not working for me, right? You just want to give up, right? You have new thinking, but your behavior is the same. What does it require? Well, Paul says there's an obligation to go a step further. There's an obligation for you to choose, an obligation for you to act, right? So the next one, it's your action. It's your practice. It's your practice when things become really real, when the spirit is ignited on fire. Not only do you have then your new thinking, and I think your new thinking takes on a whole new way, a whole new power, but then it leads to new behavior. And so the question for you this morning is like, is where in your life is the flesh causing you death? Where in your life is the flesh causing death? What do you need to confess this morning? Where do you need to receive healing this morning? Where do you need to receive hope this morning? What area of your life do you need life? Do you need hope? What area of your life do you need to invite the Spirit of God? And so, church, I just want to give you an opportunity this morning just to, you know, just to invite you to claim your birthright. I wanted to invite you to declare in your own soul, in your own soul, therefore, therefore, is no condemnation. I'm a child of God. Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> and so, church, this morning, again, I just want to, it's just an invitation for you as the Spirit leads. Okay, where in your life is the flesh causing death? Where in your life, maybe you've, you've, you've just, you just haven't even put on the new mindset. You don't have that, that confidence that the Spirit of God is living in you. And Paul says you can have every confidence to believe and to know that there is a new way to live, a new way in the Spirit. Where in your life is flesh causing death? And, and as you take on the new mindset, it's not just new thinking, because you can have new thinking, but you can have the old behavior. But it's as I walk in Christ and the obligation of obedience and in practice, that transformation really begins, new thinking and new behavior. And so this morning, what I just want you to do is, as the Spirit leads, okay, I, I just want to invite you to stand where you are, all right? And again, this is just for yourself. I have no need for you to stand. But if you just want, in this moment, just to be able to tell your soul the truth, if you kind of just want to, in that moment, kind of stand up and raise your fist, right, and be able to say that I am I am, my identity is securely rooted in that I am a child of God. That I am securely, my identity is that I'm forgiven and I'm free. That I am no longer under condemnation, that I am loved by God. I am righteous in Christ. I am a spirit-led, confident, flesh-overcoming child of God. And if that's you, you can just stand up where you are. And this is just for yourself, okay? This is just for yourself. You just kind of want to say in your, in your own heart and declare what Scripture is confidently declaring for you, that sin is not my master, that I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to God. If that's you, if that's who you are, you just want to say, that's my core identity, a child loved by God. Sin is not my master. You can just stand up and say, that's, that's who I am. 
I know my old thoughts condemn me, say that's not who you are, but I just want to say for myself, and I need to say for my own soul, in line with my heavenly Father, says I am, who calls me to, that I am a child of God. I don't need to justify my existence anymore. I don't need fame. I don't need anything to prop up my identity, my ego. No need for something else to prop up who you are. God's love is enough. Now that's you. And you just want to say that to your soul. I just invite you to stand. Tell it to your soul. You stand and you raise that fist. You don't have to raise your fist, you know. But you're just kind of telling it to the darkness, to the powers that be. You stir yourself up in the Lord that the Spirit of God is in me. And the Spirit of God, not my flesh, it's the Spirit of God that I have an obligation and the empowerment of God to follow Him and to live for Him, to love Him, and to love others. Thank you, Father, for everyone here today. Thank you, Father, for your powerful word that continues to encourage us time after time after time. And even when we get so tired, and even when our heart gets so, I don't know, depressed because other things in life don't seem to work out, or, or the, the darkness just seems greater than the light, and we lose hope, and we get stuck in our pessimism. Father, you're constantly again calling us to hope. You will not let us die. You will not just let us kind of slip quietly into the night. You're constantly calling us to life and new life in the Spirit with new thinking and new behaviors and new love because your Spirit is in us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us because this, this power and this love would not be possible apart from your work on the cross for us. And so I just pray for everyone here standing. God, I just pray that you are just, you know, just stirring it up in their hearts that they, it's not just emotional, but it's literal, it's true, it's real, God. That you're calling them to make that declaration in their hearts that we are, that you are, that we are, that I am a child of God, that that is my truest core identity, spirit-filled, flesh-overcoming child of God. And we declare that and we say that against all the powers and all the voices and all the negative things in our minds that condemn us and we cast those out and we just say Father that your spirit rules rules and reigns in our heart and your voice, the voice of hope and truth and love is what defines who we are. Thank you Father. We love you so much. In Jesus name we pray. Amen church. Let's all stand together and let's sing.